turn in your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 5. Ephesians chapter 5. And put your fingers in Proverbs chapter 2, because we'll visit there. <laughs> Ephesians five fifteen to 16, calling this one careful walking, careful walking. In Matthew 25, 14 and 30, I'm not, I'm not going to read it, but I'll, I'll just summarize what has been called or labeled the parable of the talents. A master is going to go on away on a long journey, and before he goes, he gives five talents to one slave, two talents to another slave, and then one talent to a third. And the first two slaves, they go and invest the money, and they, they bring back uh, uh, double what they were given. crux of the story is seen in what the third slave does. He does absolutely nothing. He he digs a hole and buries it, and for however long the master's gone, we're we're not told what he does. He could be sitting on it, doing whatever equivalent the ancient world had to playing Farmville, just wasting his time. The point of that parable is not what the slaves bring back or how much they bring back. The point is, is what did they do with what was given to them? What was their response to being entrusted with something of their masters? That's the point. And with respect to that point, with respect and re- with respect to the life that you have been given, let me ask you uh, what maybe some would look at as an existential question. Why do you do what you do? Maybe maybe you've asked the person next to you a question like that. Why, Why do you do what you do? Why are you what you are? Why do you live the way you do? Why do you make the choices that you make? Why do you say the things you say and do the things you do and go the places you go? Why is your walk, using Paul's metaphor for living, why is your walk what it is? Now, multiple times, Paul has used this word walk to refer to the manner of life that we are called to live. For one, walk in a manner worthy of your calling. 4.17, walk no longer as the Gentiles walk. 5.2, walk in love as Christ walks. 5.8, walk as children of light. And here in verse 15, in our text today, this is the last time Paul uses this word walk in the whole book. And it's also linked to the only imperatival clause, or the, the only imperative verb, in the sentence, and because it stands in its own, I'm going to make that, I'm going to form the main point out of that for today's message. And so here it is. Here, here, here's the main point right, right at the, I'm, I'm front-loading it for you. In light of the Lord Jesus saving you, you and I must therefore be careful how we walk. We must be careful how we walk. Walk And truth be told, I, I would dare say, speaking for myself at the very least, we are more careless than careful. Most of us, many of us, I don't know, I'm not thinking of anyone in particular, I, I know I'm speaking for myself, I live more often than not on some kind of mental autopilot. And I just, I have patterns and habits and traditions and I just... I do things without thinking. And who hasn't said to themselves, why did I do that? Why, why did I say that? Why did that come out of me? Why didn't I do something else? The answer is because I am more careless than careful what I do and what I say. 
Paul says, be careful how you walk. The Greek is, is, is literally, watch carefully. See to it with care. And if you have a King James, this is one of those words, one of those translations that is just, it's it deeply embedded in my mind. I'm never going to forget it. The King James and the New King James uses the word circumspectly. Walk circumspectly. And just it, maybe if, you, if, you, uh, if you're used to etymology and looking at how words are formed, just thinking about that word circumspectly, you, you, you might get the idea of, of, of looking around as you are walking, maybe, maybe hiking on a trail, on an unknown trail where there could be a, a snake or, or just around the corner, or there could be a rock in the road, and you're watching where you're going. You're watching, you're on the alert, you're looking out for hazards and dangers, and things that might make your hike much less, much less enjoyable than it already is. Pay close attention. Be focused. Be attentive. Be aware. Be alert. Be discerning. Don't be distracted. I, I, know, a, I know a young man who used to play Little League, and there was a reason why they put him in left field because statistically that's the part of the field that gets the least amount of action, and he was prone to, to being easily distracted. And when the ball is hit out to him, he's just looking at the trees and the birds and the balls. Everyone's yelling at him because the ball goes over. He, that is one who, and that was me, that is one who was not taking care and seeing what's going around him. Now, that that litany of words that I just used, paying attention, being alert, being aware, being sober, not being distracted, these words would be entirely appropriate for the discussion that we have had over the last two weeks uh, to, to describe the kind of scrutiny and discernment and discrimination. Remember, remember how I, what I mean by that word, making a distinction between one thing and another thing. But th- th- these words and these themes are entirely appropriate to describe the kind of scrutiny that we are to bring in who we affiliate with and who we don't. And, and what kind of activities we engage in and what kind of activities we abstain from. Paul says that same ki- kind of scrutiny with, with, with verse 15, when he says, be careful then how you walk, he says, he's saying that same kind of scrutiny is to be applied towards our own lives. It must be. As we're subjected to the Word of God and, and through it, God tells us the kind of people that, that we ought to be and tells us the kind of person that Jesus is. And, and then He tells us that we are to be like this Jesus and we're to imitate Jesus and we are to walk as He did. I would place before you the sentiment or the statement that self-scrutinization is utterly essential. Taking great care to assess your own walk in comparison to that of Jesus is utterly essential. We're to apply scrutiny and pay close attention on whether or not we are walking like he does. There's any number of ways Paul could have said this. He could have thrown some trite little motto like, be like Jesus, or what would Jesus do, and give you a bracelet to remember that. Instead, he he tells us, take great care, be careful, focus on what you're doing. That's, that is the main point of these two verses. We're to take stock of ourselves and we are to be aware of what we're doing and how we're living our lives under the banner of Jesus. And then Paul fleshes that main thought out with two lines, 
two supporting lines of thought, and this will form our outline for today, two ways to walk with care. Verse 15, he says to walk wisely. Walk walk in regard to wisdom. And then verse 16, to walk timely. Let's read the text. Therefore, verse 15, Therefore, be careful how you walk, not as unwise men, but as wise, making the most of your time because the days are evil. First, we see the first supporting thought, either helping, either explaining what he means. Yeah, I'd say explaining what, what, it, what it means to walk with care or to, to examine yourself. He says to walk not as unwise men, but as wise. Walk as, as a man or as a woman or as a child who has wisdom. Now, what is wisdom? Maybe I could, we could go around the room and I could ask you what you think wisdom is, and we might get a different, a very similar but different uh, shade of answer for, you know, depending on how many people are in this room. Some may feel that wisdom is a pithy statement on a fortune cookie or in a fortune cookie. Some may think that wisdom are things and sentiments and catchphrases that old weird hermits living on top of a hill tell you when you visit them. The Bible depicts wisdom as this, having right knowledge and then combining it with application. Knowing what to do or what ought to be done and then doing it. That's wisdom. It is right information. It is truth (coughs) and insight that is then put into practice. And we we generally see wisdom associated people with people who are skilled at living. Wise people generally know what to do, how to do it, and why it's to be done. Now, as a side note, don't mistake or confuse wisdom with intelligence. I mean, they're, they're similar, and they may go hand in hand. I mean, if, if wisdom is having knowledge and then applying it, you have to have the knowledge first. But having intelligence and having lots of knowledge doesn't automatically equate into wisdom. Very educated people can be sorely lacking in wisdom. Learned people can excel at being fools and doing foolish things. Romans 1.22 says, Professing to be wise, and for, for all intents and purposes, these are people who were probably lauded and accepted by their peers in society as being wise. Professing and accepted and received as being wise, they became what? Fools. It is certainly possible to be simultaneously very intelligent and very accomplished and to have degrees and accolades and to be trained by the world's elite while at the same time being very foolish. It is entirely possible. I mean, just look. Well, we don't really do newspapers anymore, but I mean, look at the new, the 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 Facebook newsfeed. Some of the things that the most sought-after people in the world do—it's just mind-boggling. It's very possible to be simultaneously very intelligent and foolish, and at the same time, it's also quite possible for a very simple man or a very simple woman. To have wisdom. In fact, it's it's even simple. It's even possible for a simple man to abound in wisdom. 
simple people who don't know much about quarks and black stars and how the mitochondria works, or, or they, they could be completely oblivious to the finer points of, of philosophy and psychology, and they may not know business etiquette or this or that. They can nonetheless be very skilled in having right knowledge and then in putting that right knowledge into practice in the affairs of their everyday life. Biblically speaking, we know where right knowledge, we know where truth comes from. We know the source, we know the fountainhead of right knowledge and right information. It is, come, it is from the Lord. James 1.17 says that the, the, the real wisdom, the wisdom you want, comes from above. Listen to Proverbs 2, 1 to 20. And if, if your finger is there, flip over there. And I want, you to, I want you to mark three things. Three things I, I hope you see stand out. I want you to see how, how uh, Proverbs 9, 1, is it 9, 1 or 9, 10 that says that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. I, I want you to see how that sentiment is reflected in this text. The Lord is the source of wisdom. Secondly, I want you to see how wisdom has its foundation and it, it, is, it is equated to the use of knowledge and understanding and discernment. And then third, I want you to see how wisdom is justified by her children and is manifested in skillful living. The proverb reads, My son, if you receive my words and treasure my commandments within you, Make your ear attentive to wisdom. Incline your heart to understanding. For if you cry for discernment and lift your voice for understanding, you see how all of these, uh, these words are linked and they're parallel together. If you seek her as silver and search for her as for hidden treasures, then you will discern the fear of the Lord and discover the knowledge of God. If you want wisdom and you want to figure out the right way to look at the world and to look at yourself and to look how, uh, how things ought to be done and why the way things are, you begin by looking for God and His truth. That's where you go. For the Lord gives wisdom and from His mouth come knowledge and understanding He stores up wisdom for the upright. And he is a shield to those who walk in integrity. And, and I, think, I think it could be demonstrated that all, that all the things that God is doing here for those who are seeking him and seeking his knowledge, yes, God can sovereignly and supernaturally invade history and act supernaturally. But more often than not, I would say I would say when that happens, when God um, exceeds the natural laws of nature and everything, that's the exception. These things that we're about to read, I would say the means of these things being done is when men and women acquire the knowledge that God has in his word and then apply it. What kind of things? Being, he is a shield to those who walk in integrity. Did you know that when you abide by the commandments of God, generally speaking, your life is easier? The way of Proverbs fifteen seventeen, the way of the transgressor is. Alina, the way of the transgressor is, what? Oh, you got it, you got it, you got it. What? Hard. She knows it. She's blushing. That's okay. Generally speaking, doing what we ought to do decreases consequences, right? So, so wisdom, uh, rather revelation, is the means for God being a shield to those who walk in integrity. You walk in integrity, a lot of accusations won't stick to you. Guarding the paths of justice, and he preserves the way 
of the godly ones. One of the one of the takeaways from Proverbs is that is that sinners and foolish people generally don't live very long. He preserves the way. He extends the lives. He safeguards his godly ones. Then you will discern righteousness and justice and equity in every good course. This is wisdom being lived out. For wisdom will enter your heart and knowledge will be pleasant to your soul. Discretion will guard you. Understanding will watch over you to deliver you from the way of evil. Yes, God can supernaturally reach down and preserve you as he preserved David from the Philistines. He can also preserve you by giving the sense not to run with that fellow or not to engage in that kind of activity that can reduce your days on this twirling globe. Where are we? To deliver you from the way... Understanding will watch over you to deliver you from the way of evil, from the man who speaks perverse things, and from those who leave the paths of righteousness to walk in the ways of darkness. And just on this note, the, te- the very text that we've been going through in Ephesians for the last two or three weeks, this is what I'm talking about. By, by not being partakers with those who do dark deeds and not joining with them and using discernment and scrutiny in who we associate with and who we uh, affiliate with, we become uh, delivered from those whose ways are evil and from men who speak perverse things and from those who leave the paths of uprightness to walk in the ways of darkness. And who delight in doing evil and rejoice in the perversity of evil whose paths are crooked and who are devious in their ways. Wisdom keeps you from these people and from partaking in the fruit of their affairs. Wisdom will deliver you from the strange woman. Now, just a second right here. This doesn't mean like a strange woman who's like odd. Strange here has the, has the idea of, of something that does not belong to you. Jude refers to uh, uh, those who went after strange flesh, flesh that wasn't theirs to pursue. And so in this sense, the, the strange woman is not an odd woman. The strange woman is the woman who does not belong to you. The woman who isn't yours. She is the off-limits woman. And any woman who's not your wife is, is the off-limits woman. You'll be delivered from that strange woman, from the adulteress who flatters with her words, who leaves the companion of her youth and forgets the covenant of her God, for her house sinks down to death and her tracks lead to the dead. None who go to her re- return again, nor do they reach the paths of life. And here's, here's the the children that justify wisdom, so you will walk in the way of good men and keep to the paths of righteous, of the righteous. That is what wisdom does. Wisdom is applying the knowledge that God gives you and applying the insight that you've been given by means of Scripture. Wisdom is coming to conclusions made possible by what we could call God-directed reasoning. Because Scripture isn't just an endless list, list of do this and don't do that. There are times where we have to use our noggin to discern things that fall into gray areas. And there are areas of Christian liberty where it may be right and appropriate for one person to engage, and, and it might not be appropriate. It might be entirely disappropriate or unappropriate for someone else to engage. We have to use God-directed reasoning. 
Wisdom isn't merely knowing what God says in Scripture. Wisdom is living in light of what God says in Scripture. Paul says, don't be unwise. Be wise. Walk as a wise man. Walk as a wise woman or as a wise child. Wisdom is living in light of God's knowledge, God's revelation, living in light of God's insight, in light of God's prerogatives and purposes and revealed will. And if that's wisdom, then we can understand why, why, why Psalm 14.1 says that the fool is the one who says in his heart, and if he says it in his heart, it's going to come out in the words that he uses, and it's going to come out in the, in the things that he does, but he says in his heart... There is what? There is no God. You can understand if wisdom is living in light of God, then the fool is the one who abjectly rejects that. Folly is to reject the source of all knowledge, of all truth, and all wisdom. And to live life your own way in spite of your creator. And in spite of the one who, who not only gave you life, but gave you the, your very purpose for being. That is the heart of folly. And so being foolish isn't merely being void of pr- what we could say practically advantageous living skills foolishness or at least the the, the beginning or the, the foundation for foolishness is rejecting God and rejecting his word rejecting his revealed will rejecting his design in creation there is a lot of foolish foolish and heartbreakingly dark folly being done because we have rejected God's design in gender in sex and in marriage I mean, some, some folly we can laugh at. Elijah laughed as he mocked the, the 400 prophets of Baal. Some folly is appropriate in some capacity to laugh at. There is a lot of folly right now. You can't help but cry and weep and beg that God would grant repentance and light. Folly is to reject the light he has revealed. It is to reject his revealed design. It's to reject his call to repent and to be saved and to reject the warning of his judgment that is day by day drawing closer. That is all the heart and the foundation and the fruit of foolishness. For that reason, we can say not, not, from, a, not from a heart or not from a, an attitude of bitterness or not bitterness, but arrogance. For those reasons, we can say we live in a very foolish world. But Aaron, maybe someone out there just, you know, they want to believe the best about humanity. Maybe their hope in humanity hasn't been completely extinguished. Maybe someone saying, Aaron, man is so capable, uh, is capable of so much, and there's so much we know about now, and there's so many things that we know about and we can do that that mankind in the ancient world couldn't have even fathomed. I would say that doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. Yes, it's all impressive, the, 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 all the books we've written and all the technological know-how and the advancement of science and the fact that we've put men on the moon and, and all sorts of other marvels. But for all that increase, I would say, sadly, for all that increase, there has been a proportionate decrease in common sense, in spiritual truthfulness and moral goodness ever since the enlightenment man's ability to grasp who and what he is and what he's here for and where he's going and what he's doing and why he's doing it has been more and more and more and more lost man isn't going to find that information anytime soon Why? Because man seems to be of the opinion that he doesn't need anything or he doesn't need anyone beyond himself. 
He doesn't need any help discovering these things. Man considers himself the expert and the final authority on his own anthropology and the universe's cosmology. Man's the expert. We don't, we don't, need, we don't need to know what God says, if, if, if he even exists. And here's the height of folly. The creation, the created thing, this little ball of dust with breath in it, has stuck up his nose and shunned and turned his back on the Creator. That's folly. Ecclesiastes ends with this. Chapter 12, verse 12. The writing of many books is endless. And, ex- and because it's endless, excessive devotion to books is wearying to the body. The conclusion... When all has been heard is this, fear God and keep his commandments. I mean, from, 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 a, from a basic point of view, this is the meaning of life. Revere God. God is to be revered. God is to be listened to. God is to be given a, a, a platform to where he is heard for what he has to say. All of that is bound up <coughs> in fear. This isn't saying, like, fear God because he's going to whack you. Revere him. Listen to him. And keep his commandments. Fall, you know, give him a position. Entertain his position to, to say what he has to say. And then follow through and apply with the things he has to say. Solomon is saying, or whoever you think wrote Ecclesiastes, Solomon is saying, that's, that's, <coughs> that's the point of it all. That's the takeaway to life. Fear God and keep his commandments. And how many people does that apply to? This, he says, and this applies to every person. Why is that? For God will bring every act. God will bring every act to judgment. Everything which is hidden, whether it is good or evil. A day of judgment is coming, and everything that is hidden is going to be evaluated, assessed, and God is going to make things right, either in rewarding those who do good or judging those who do evil. There's a day coming where every right is going to be wrong, and every sin is going to be, I'm sorry, every wrong is going to be righted, and every sin is going to be held accountable to. And you know what man says in response to that? Because man is foolish. Man is foolish. If your kids were nodding off, they are no longer with that. You can't be wise or at least maintain and certainly not grow in wisdom if you are shunning the source of wisdom. And while we could easily have looked at several key areas where wisdom is needed... Maybe, you know, some of us really like that. Give me some practical things to do. Give me some practical areas. Yeah, I know I need wisdom. Show me practically in my marriage, in my life, in, my, in, my, in the job site, uh, uh, at the gym, whatever. Uh, when, I'm, when I'm looking at the menu at Extapa, give me nuggets of wisdom that I can apply right now. For some of you, that wisdom may be to just not go to Extapa. And there are several ways that there, there are several avenues Paul could have taken us. He could have begun an exposition of the book of Proverbs. Instead, he gives us the big picture. Rather than giving you some fish to eat so that you'd be fed for a day, he's showing us where the fishing hole is so that we can fish for ourselves. And so we can be fed for a lifetime. And, 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 and that's, that's bound up, you see, in verse 10. Learn what's pleasing to the Lord. And how do you do that? You go to his word. You consult it. You read it. You study it. You meditate on it. You, you pray about it. Learn what's pleasing to the Lord. 
since God made us Christians, Paul says it's high time that we lived like one. And instead of giving us or pointing to, to, to key areas or multiple areas that, that where wisdom would be applied, he takes us to one specific area. Where he says, in ver- we'll, we'll, we'll jump ahead to our second point. Walk timely. There, there, there are a dozen ways he could have taken this. And he could have addressed this area of your life, this area of your life, that relationship with that person, that, uh, your job. He could, have, he could have addressed any number of things. But there's one key area where he, where he does touch on, and it's the matter of the use of time. This is a critical area where wisdom must be applied. And this is a way, this is a critical way how one can walk wisely. One can walk wisely by walking timely. He says, verse 16, making the most of your time. Making the most of your time. Now, some, some translations say redeeming the time. And I don't know about you, I don't use the word redeem or redeeming in everyday conversation. And so if that's, you know, if that's a churchy word that you only hear every so often, teaching your kids to redeem the time, you know, it might lose its punch if it's not a word that they, that they uh, uh, are familiar with. And so uh, many of you will have the translation, and I think this is a perfect, ca- uh, a perfect translation, it says, make the most of your time. The truth is, we don't have endless time. Time flies. And its wings get stronger as we get older. Time flies. And once a moment has passed, it's gone. Paul says, make the most of the time. Make the most of the time you have left. One man puts it this way, and I like this. Maximize the opportunities you're given. Maximize the opportunities you're given. Time is wasted if opportunities are wasted. Time is wasted if opportunities are presented and nothing is done. Time is wasted if nothing is accomplished or if, even if nothing is learned. Even if you don't accomplish what you set out to do, learning something in and of itself, learning something can, is inherently an accomplishment in its own regard. Thomas Edison reportedly spent a lot of time and energy and resources trying to create a device that you and I use every day. Do you know what that device is? There's a whole bunch of them that have been installed, not LED light bulbs, but just the light bulb. And each time he attempted, for a long time he was met with failure. There were many attempts, many failed attempts before he uh, succeeded. And each time he failed, you know what, that could have been the last straw. But he persevered, and in the end, he made an accomplishment. He accomplished the discovery of over 2,000 ways not to make the light bulb. Now, how often do we see the opportunity to do good and to invest ourselves into the study of something or, or, into the, or, or to begin the practice of something or to invest into someone else or to give to someone else? And you know what? Because of we, we estimate, we, we look at what is going to come back to us. We look at the gains and it's just not there or it's just not worth it. We look at the returns and we go, ah, it's not, an, ah, it's not really worth my time. That, that is a far too difficult task. It is a far too costly task. It's a, that, that is an inconvenience for me. It is not worth doing, and so I'm not going to do it. And yet you and I have opportunities every day to delight ourselves into the Lord and to to dig into Scripture and to meditate on it and to commit it to memory. And we have the opportunity every day to speak a gracious word to someone. And we let these opportunities pass. 
we have the opportunity every day, especially today being the Lord's Day, to get to know someone. To get to know someone that we don't know at all. Or perhaps to get to better get to know someone that we barely know. We have the opportunity every day, and especially on the Lord's Day, to pray for one another. And maybe not every day, but often enough, we have opportunities to apply our gifts. What are our gifts? Our gifts are those capacities where God has made us really good at something. Where He is He has He has made us able and He He's made us equipped to do something that not everybody can do. Or He's enabled us to do something perhaps better than someone else could do it. And He's given us these gifts we saw back in chapter was it four? He's given us his gifts to serve the body, not just to serve ourselves. Gifts are those capacities to do something to serve the body and not ourselves. Some of you, God has made a helping hand. Your gift might be generosity the Lord may have given you considerable resources that other people don't have you can provide for needs in a, in a way that other people might not your gifts may be your, your time you, one fellow may have a job that requires him to work 60, 70, 80 hours a week some of you may be able to work from home and you make your own schedule and you're so efficient with your time that you have large windows and blocks where you can, you can meet with other people where someone else can't. Your gift may be the ability to provide counsel and comfort to those who need it. Someone whose gift is tough love, might, their gift might not be comfort. Let's put it that way. Your gift may be being a listening ear. Your gift may be being someone that people know they can go and talk to and they won't be reprimanded or they won't be judged. That they, someone that they feel safe with. There are people who have that gift. They're very personable and they are very approachable and they excel at that. And then there are people that are not. Your gift may be that you're great with food. And on that note, whoever made that potato salad with the nuts in it at the last potluck, please bring that to the picnic next week. Your gift may be your ability to teach. You may have a a way with words. You may be able to articulate and to communicate. And you you may be able to glean not only small details, but appropriately the big picture of what is in the material. And you may, be able to, you may be able to easily put that up on a whiteboard and communicate and illustrate and, 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 and draw people to applications. Other, other people may go, because uh, that's not their gift. You may be gifted as a leader. You may be gifted to be a supporter and a follower. We saw, we saw, and I think it's Ephesians 4, 7, he has gifted each of us with the idea being that there is a distinction. There's a difference in the dispensation, in, 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 in the handing out, the dispensing of gifts. Don't waste the opportunities given to you. Make the most of your time, Christian. Don't waste the opportunities. Don't even waste one one opportunity because, for one thing, you might not get a second chance. And I don't mean that in the morbid sense, although that is a plausible point to consider. 
James 4.14 says that you don't know what tomorrow holds. Life, your life is but a vapor that's here for a second and then it's gone. That is certainly plausible, but beyond that, and I would say much more often than that, a second chance to do good and to do the right thing might not be given to you in the sense that, mark this, every opportunity you have is unique. Every opportunity you have to do what is right and to do what is good is unique. Every opportunity to lift someone up. Every opportunity to encourage them, to grace them, to grace them with with a word or with an admonition. Paul says in in 1 Corinthians, I think, chapter 2, that one man waters, a plants, and another man waters. And God is causing the growth. Every contribution is unique. And maybe the unique contribution that you have to make today won't be needed tomorrow. It's possible. Maybe, maybe somebody else will, be, will rise up and will provide what you could have done. Maybe you won't encounter that person tomorrow. Maybe you won't see them for next week. Maybe you won't see them ever again. And maybe you'll be preoccupied, even if you were given another chance and another opportunity to, 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 to do whatever service, to make whatever contribution tomorrow, maybe tomorrow you'll have another opportunity and then someone has to lose out. If you dedicate tomorrow's opportunity to doing today's good, when are you going to do tomorrow's? The next day? And if that happens, what are you going to do with that day's opportunity? Here's a, here's a painful reason, a sobering reason to make the most of your time and to take full advantage of today's opportunity instead of putting it off for tomorrow. J.C. Ryle in his book, Thoughts for Young Men, and yes, I know the book is written to young men, but it, I, it, many of these are applicable to everyone across the board. He talks about the danger of habits and patterns. Once they start, they get, and, 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 and the roots start to dig in, they get bigger and bigger, and it's like a snowball that gets heavier the more it goes down the hill, and it's harder and harder to stop. Speaking of this pattern of putting something off for tomorrow, if it's easy to put off today, it will be even easier to put off tomorrow. And it will be even easier the next day and so on and so on. And so Ryle says, today is the day to redeem the time, not tomorrow. Tomorrow is the devil's day. Tomorrow is the devil's day, but today is God's day. And mark this. Again, this is Ryle. This is not me. Satan doesn't care how spiritual your intentions may be or how holy your resolutions are as long as you determine to act on them tomorrow. Why could he care less? Because tomorrow you'll be presented with the same opportunity to hold it off another day. And again and again and again. Why must we be diligent to walk wisely and make the most of our time? Look at, look at how Paul finishes off verse 16. Because the days are evil. The days are evil. First John 5.19, the whole world lies in the power of the evil one. <laughs> that helps us understand why the days are evil. We, we, we live in a world influenced by the evil one. Ephesians 2.2 2 told us that the world is in bondage to the devil and, and they walk like he walks. The world is in the thrall of the evil one and so the world walks like the evil one. And from our point of view, the world can be a horrible place to live. It can be. 
And for many, it is. If the world is all you have and all you know and all you hope in, and you stand to lose everything. You can lose your health. Men can turn their back on you. They can reject you. They can slander you. You can suffer theft either from governments or from men. Men can, men more numerous than you and whoever you have with you can rise up and they can intimidate you. They can steal from you. They can cause you bodily harm. They can harm your name. And they may even take your life. These things, this is nothing that hasn't happened in the past. And if you know where to look for, you can find these things happening today. Dangers like the riots and the shootings we had last year is not unique to 2020 and it's not unique to the United States. The world can be a nasty place to live. The days are not nice. The days are not pleasant. What are the days? The days are evil. The days are not good. They are evil. And as a Christian, you have to see that there are forces, both human and uh, demonic. I think it's 1 Peter 5, 7 that says your enemy is prowling around like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. There are forces, both human, both flesh, both carnal and spiritual, who are opposed to you. I mean, even your own flesh is opposed to you. Even your own flesh wants to draw, wants to, to, to pull you down and make you stumble. And beloved, the last thing we should be doing is walking around with this lackadaisical, carefree attitude like we live in a Thomas Kincaid painting. And, and everything is fine, and everything is as it should be, and I can do whatever I want to do today, and there'll be plenty of time to do tomorrow the things that I, you know, I really should be doing today. When you live in evil days, that is a detrimental outlook on life. La-di-da. The days are evil. Just for kicks, I, I looked up a, um, a lexicon. And alternate words for evil are oppressive, painful, afflicting, and antagonistic. You know, so don't just think of, you know, when, when you say the days are evil, don't just think of, you know, some maniacal little grinning devil with a French mustache you know, licking his lips. The days are oppressive. These are, these are painful days. These are sufferable days. These are antagonistic and afflicting days. Looking back at the parable of the talents in Matthew 25, here's a detail that I think certainly for me went right over my head. I, I didn't even see this. Verse 15. To one he gave five talents, to another two, and to another one, each according to his ability. Each according to his ability. We, we, we read a little later on, the third slave, you know, when he's trying to defend himself, he claims to have known something about the master. Master, I knew you to be an austere man. I knew you were a harsh man. Well, we see here the master knew his slaves at the beginning. He, he distributed to them gifts in his assessment according to their ability. He, he knew his slaves and he knew something of what he could expect from them. And I wonder, maybe he wasn't surprised in the slightest to find out that the first two, you know what, they were, they were responsible with what was given to them. And maybe he wasn't surprised in the slightest to find out that the third guy, he didn't do nothing. He did zilch. I mean, at the very least he could have done, is he could have gone to the bank and, and, and invested the money so that the bankers, so that somebody else would be doing the work and still give some benefit, some gain to his master. This guy did absolutely nothing. He was worthless. Upon returning, the master asked each slave, what did you do with what I gave you? And again, the point is not how much 
one slave brought back and how much another slave brought back. The, the point, because that's irrelevant, the point is what did they do? What was their response with their master's stuff? How did they respond at being given an opportunity with their master's resources? And let me, let me point this towards us as we come to a close. King Jesus, Master Jesus, has entrusted you with valuable things. Anything you have is not yours because you, you acquired it or because you earned it, or you deserved it. Everything we have has been given to us. Life, time, an occupation where not only do we acquire money, but we also have people at the job site and and a testimony with those at the job site. He's given us houses, as I intimated, or as I said earlier, he's given us gifts that are to be used for other people. And he's crafted me in such a way that benefits others in a way uh, that, that is dissimilar and unique compared to the way he's crafted you and you and you to benefit the body. He's given you associations with your friends. He has given you the neighbors you have. He has given you the children you have and the parents you have and the spouses you have. And if you don't have children today, he has also given you the church family that you have. And there are other children who are now within you because you are here. There are other people's children who maybe you didn't bring them into this world, but you have the opportunity to to bless them and to be a positive influence on their life. You have an opportunity. There's only so many opportunities you're going to have with these little ones. Some of you are going, going, to, going to be off to college in a little bit. And, and your opportunities to invest into their life is also limited. We got some time with yours. Your opportunities are unique. And they're going to run out. Time is going to run out. And, the, and, to, and while that's happening, the days are oppressively, antagonistically, painfully evil. You and I must be careful. And see to it that we are responding well and appropriately to the things that the Lord has given us. And let me repeat last week's appeal, but shape it for this message. If we have been squandering these opportunities, as it relates to these opportunities, if you have been dead and asleep and sluggish, if you have been selfish with your time, with your resources, with your stuff, and instead of uh, using it for the body's glory, for your family's glory, for the Lord's glory, instead of you've been using your stuff for your glory, today is the day to awake and to rise up and to stop being foolish and living as a wise person. Today is the day to redeem the time. And let us pray with Moses. Let us pray his words in Psalm 90, verse 12. O Lord... And this is just like the appeal in the the song we opened up with before I came up here. Teach us. Teach us to number our days that we may present to you a heart of wisdom. Let that be our prayer today. Lord, thank you for being patient with foolish people like us and with a foolish man like me. Help us to be those who redeem the time. Help us to make the the necessary sacrifices. Help us to (coughs) man up, as it were. Help us to respond appropriately 
And may we be found to be like the servants who did something with the, with the resources you gave them. May we be found faithful and active and obedient. Amen. Well, as we